lip gloss ain't popping. All right. So welcome today is another episode of You Thrive Every Day. I am your host, AP, owner of You Thrive Coaching. And today we have a special guest. Very, very special. This is my soulmate, like the love of my life, okay? And what she's going to do today is share with us, like most of our guests are going to be sharing, how they are thriving, how they got through some of the dark points in their life, and how they strove through it, and now they're thriving. So, Miss Lanita, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from. What's going on, April? Hey, <laughs> friend. <laughs> Hi, friend. Hi, soulmate. Thank you for having me here. This is super exciting. Um, what's today? Happy Monday. Yes, Monday. I don't know if I said that to you yet. Uh, yes. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Lenita. I'm in Tempe, Arizona currently, I'm kind of a suburb of Phoenix, Arizona, but originally from San Diego, California, born and raised. Um, grew up in um, like the Kearney Mesa, Sarah Mesa area, which is where April and I met at high school at Kearney High. Gosh, uh, I don't know how many years ago that was, but we were 13 when we met, so it's been... Yeah, we're like old, yeah. Years or something. <laughs> it's been a long time, it's been a long time. So I'm like 20 years, more than that, it's been a long time. <laughs> okay, so we wanna hop right into it. And so where we start the journey is childhood. So kind of tell us how you grew up, and what was going on in your childhood that some, you know, that were like issues, pretty much? Well, I had a very interesting childhood, I would say. Um, you know, San Diego's an interesting place. It's very laid back. I think people get comfortable there and um, can kind of just sit in San Diego and be really relaxed. And so I grew up with that calmness as well as just interesting uh, family dynamics. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. I was always really into school. Uh, school was a big thing for me. Um, I enjoyed being in school. I was a good student, smart child. Um, but also, like, by the time we met, I feel like had gone through so many different, um, just already really hard things that by the time I got to high school, school was not... Um, it's not that big of a deal. Okay, so this is a really big question. So I have to really think about how I want to tell this story because it's such okay, a big let's question. Start, let's start with, so you started off saying that you had a very interesting um, family dynamic. What was so interesting about that? Interesting family dynamic. Um, my, so we're just going to tell the for real whole story, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, how do you start? Yeah, you know, life is wild and it's really about healing. So I was given a, a really unique experience as a child to learn how to love anyways. And um, those lessons can really only come from those that love you most. So my mom, and you know, I feel like it's one of the most courageous spirits I've ever known. Um, this story, you know, I'm 37 now, so this story is now being told as an adult, you know, with three children. And so I have to tell it true now. 
my mother, courageous. Uh, she knew the human that I was to grow into be. And so she decided, you know, on the spiritual realm that she would give me certain experiences to help me be um, ruthless in a way in the world. So that's kind of what a few of the, the choices that she, she made as, as when I was a child did was give me these ruthless experiences that, um, I don't know, I felt like I was drugged through the dirt at some times and my mother did it to me so that nobody else could. Um, so my mom really, you know, young, she decided that she was going to um, be with a man who, <laughs> with my uncle, with my father's um, brother, and, um, and tell me that that was my dad. And it was a, you know, intense experience, um, actually being brainwashed into believing somebody is your father when he's not. Um, but we also kind of had like a pretty normal childhood. Like that's why I started out was talking about how San Diego was pretty chill because, um, most people that know me and most people that will see this and that have known me for a long time would think that my mom was super cool because she was, she was like the neighborhood favorite kid. Everybody loved my mom. She would be there to pick us up from school every single day. She was at every assembly. She went on field trips. Like she was an amazing mother and she still is. Um, she's an Aries and Aries people can be wired a certain way. And she really just knew subconsciously in her spirit what I needed and gave me um, really hard lessons to have to overcome and heal. And I'm still doing that. Um, so yeah, so smart child, did well in school, placed in gated classes early, um, always had healthy friendships and relationships, never like molested or any kind of weird stuff um, that a lot of little girls go through. Um, but didn't really have a strong identity with who I was because I didn't not only not know who my dad was, but I had remembered being made to call this man who I knew for sure wasn't my father, dad. And so you knew at a young age that he was not your biological father. At one point when I would call him by his name, um, okay. and I mean, because he came around, you know, my dad wasn't there. I didn't, I hadn't met my dad and really officially, Especially me and my dad until I was 17, um, but we had a, a run-in before then. Um, but, but yeah, I called this man by his first name, and then um, they decided that I was going to call him dad. Um, I think multiple, like as an adult now, especially being a mother with a daughter, I realized that that little girl, I sensed things. I knew that that man was, had the same blood as me. I could tell. And he had the same blood as me. He was my, actually, he's my uncle. <laughs> so um, I could feel it. And it felt odd calling him dad. But um, when you're young and especially you're sensitive how I am, you do what you're told. And you right. follow the rules. Um, so I did. And then what happened was that although I knew something in me wasn't right about it, I also had this dad figure in my life. And I wanted his love. And I pushed whatever I had to do in myself to be more deserving of his love. And um, 
that's the biggest, honestly, now at this age and at this point of life, I would say that's the biggest hurdle that my family gave me was um, loving a man like my father who wasn't my father and trying to get the love from a man who was never going to, he was never going to love me like that. <laughs> right. He was never going to love me how my dad actually does. Um, and I know my dad now, and I've known my father now longer than I didn't know him. And uh, he's an amazing man. And shouting our Marshall, um, my for real dad, I love you. I appreciate you. Um, so let me make this clear. So, so it was a feeling when you were younger that that wasn't your father, or was that a fact that you knew? Like, I mean, it's so hard to say I didn't know because I remember calling him by his first name. Right. <laughs> and then I remember him telling me, no, you're going to call him dad now. So it's so hard to say that I didn't know, but at that age, and again, like looking at my children and recognizing their level, of, yeah, their level of comprehension and, and, and consciousness, you just don't really, well, okay. You know, uh, he had the same last name as me. Um, he had the same last name as my mom. And I but I also felt that family connection. That's the thing is we really do have the same blood. So I knew that I had to respect him and honor him. Like I, I had an awareness that there was something there. So I didn't know he was my father's brother until I think I was like 12 or 13. It, it took me a while to actually find out that relationship. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And it was interesting, you know, because my grandmother, my, uh, she would come see me. And I knew, you know, a handful of cousins and, um, but I didn't know my siblings. I had siblings on my dad's side. I actually met my uh, half sister, Marcia, um, when at a hospital once and was introduced to her as my cousin. Um, so, you know, the, the plan for me to think he was my dad, or maybe they even thought he was my dad. I don't really even know what was going on in their minds and what type of things were happening at what levels. Um, but you know, that's what the story was. So I don't know if I really, I don't know if I believe, you know, if I knew it or not, but that's what the story was. Okay. And I lived that story out. 13 when you actually knew the truth what were you going through mentally when it was like for sure confirmed that like this is my uncle yeah my brother told me um i, I kicked it one summer with a cousin and that 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 summer was like transformative and then at the end of that summer my brother my, my mom's son told me um you know that herman's not your dad right and i'm like uh Kind of, but nope. <laughs> and it was shocking. And um, and then within a few months, you know, my probably within a year, my father actually came to my house looking for uh, for my uncle, and he knocked on the gate. And it was odd because I had already been told this was the truth. But again, brainwashing is real, you know, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. and. It's amazing the experiences I've been giving because the compassion that I can have in my heart for people and their experiences is beyond what most people I know. Because brainwashing is real, and I know it because I experienced it. Um, so yeah, so when I found out though, the, the first, the hardest part for me was my mom, honestly, because uh, she raised me to not lie. She hated liars. And when I found out that they were just lying to me so bold-faced, um, 
I got upset, you know, and it was right at that time of life where, you know, if you don't have those healthy male bonds, you're going to be looking for love. And um, I started dating Jesse. <laughs> uh, I probably shouldn't be dropping all these names, huh? I started <laughs> she wouldn't care though um i started dating you know my first boyfriend and lost my virginity and got pregnant by 15 because um well i don't know i shouldn't say because i was supposed to go through those experiences but um when i found out i don't know my mind just it went crazy honestly like i started to really hate myself i started to hate the way that i look I started to hate the way that my skin color was. I started to hate everything about myself. Um, what triggered this hate? No, honestly, I think like in retrospect, I think it had more to do with puberty, honestly, than anything else. Um, and no real awareness of what was happening or a, or a mom to really guide me along womanhood and becoming who I was and the hormones and just being who I was. Um, on top of, oh, so dude is my dad and y'all been lying to me. And then he actually, what happened actually is he got really sick and um, he had to leave the house. And this was right after I met my first boyfriend, uh, well, first serious boyfriend. And um, <laughs> that's crazy at 14, my first serious boyfriend is <laughs> why so young. Naya's gonna be 10, like, no, it's crazy. It wouldn't even be a thing for her. Right. And that's the thing is that I didn't actually, my mom wasn't putting me up on no kind of game at that age. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he got sick and he left and he went to the hospital and was gone for like nine months. And when my uncle, dad left, um, my mom kind of changed and she started to get really depressed and started to feel like no man was going to want her. And I started watching her literally break it down in front of me. And at the same time, I had a little boyfriend, um, you know, and all of that, like a new life started to be created for me or was starting to be created. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I could say all of it, right? Like childhood, depression. Yeah, something. and then I mean, that's a big deal as far right. as your identity when, you know, the person who you know, your thinking is your father is not your father. And then you don't know your biological father. It does raise that question. Well, who the hell am I? You know what I'm saying? And then, so you're dating a, a guy, you know, and then mom is, she's losing her guy, you know, so she's depressed. So she's not able to kind of have that woman to woman conversation with you. So that could be, that could be a lot <laughs> for a 14 year old. That's a lot. I mean, and, and what's interesting too with the dad situation is that I didn't actually have a strong relationship to my uncle dad because mm -hmm. how he treated me, um, how I felt, fear, many things. But so when he got sick, it, it felt kind of like, actually like a relief that he was gone. Um, I didn't really start to feel the father identity things until I met my father and I, and I met the man who actually is my dad. I was like, oh shoot, like now I have to start figuring out who I really am because I see now this is like, I just look and act so much like my father. 
um, it was really, it was my mom, man. For me back then, it, it was really, I felt so upset with my mom. And looking at Naya and how close Naya and I are and how much I mean to Naya, my mom meant that much to me. And she hated liars. And she lied to me for years, just to me. And it seemed in such like, then it seemed like in a malicious way, you know, like, why? Why have to lie? Um, but be so, you know, but I don't like liars. But so right. back then it was, you're becoming an adult, though. That's the adults that you're, that are modeling life for you, you know? So I think I was even just angry. I wanted to be emancipated so bad back then, April, because I felt like, Yo, you, you can't even really raise me. Like, I felt like I wanted to go and do it for myself. That was my next question, where you feeling like you were raising yourself at that time. Sure. Once, um, once he left um, and my mom started to date guys and, and bring guys around more, um, new men, um, yeah, it was pretty much it. I got a job. I started, I had a boyfriend. Like, I pretty much grew up at that point, at least in my mind I did, and I decided to. I didn't know what I was doing, but... Um, but yeah, you know, so and school started to suffer, you know, so when we met, um, we were in both in our advanced classes together and doing well and freshman year started out great. Um, sophomore year, I got pregnant and had an abortion that summer. And uh, the end of sophomore year, I basically failed out of high school was at like a 1.6 GPA or something because I stopped coming like life at home was just so heavy and so just... what, I mean like where because okay that's a lot <laughs> okay hold on <laughs> so we're in school we're kicking ass in school we're working a job we've got a boyfriend and then all of a sudden we're pregnant like who who are you talking to who is who is your sounding board what are you going through as a 15 year old that is harvesting a little human like what is your mental state? Um, at that point, it was not good. That summer was really, really hard. Uh, my mother instantly told me that I was going to either give it up for adoption or have an abortion. And I couldn't fathom doing either one. Uh, I was just heartbroken that I was in the situation that I was going to have to make this choice or like run away and go have a baby. And I don't even think even I considered running away and having the baby actually, which is interesting. Um, hot mess. <laughs> Uh, some of the hottiest, messiest days of my life, um, feeling like, you know, honestly, like a murderer and feeling like I can't believe that I did this and that, um, that this is what, what my choices led to. It's funny because Coach Scotty, um, freshman year, was the first person who ever connected for me that my choices could affect my life. Like for some reason before that, I never got that lesson. And Coach Scotty told me in, in freshman year um, that, uh, soda could cause can't could give me cancer and that was like this life shifting moment of my life so this pregnancy was like that next one and before pregnancy I feel like I thought I had grown up and then after pregnancy after that abortion I feel like I really began to like I matured at a different level so uh, it broke me down. It was the first, you know, real tragedy of my personal life. And I was so young and I was already kind of distraught from years before, but had already overcome depression. Actually, like age 12 and 13, I was super depressed, suicidal, like hated myself, those things. So I'd already overcome that. 
um, and then was in this and then overcame that. Got back into school junior year. Um, and then by the end of junior year, I was in juvenile hall. <laughs> Um, and of course we have to rewind that. <laughs> okay. So, um, okay. I have previous, hold on, pause. Okay. So, we so, so I don't know what we're, if we, how, where we're going, you know, this is my first time telling the story like this. So. Yes. And that's how I want it to be because I, I want, because like I said, there are so many people that want to be excited about life, that really want to thrive. They want to, they just do not know how to do that from where they are presently. So as the objectives of my interviews are to talk about the darker sides of life, people's struggles and how they got through them, because that's what we need to be discussing because that's life. We have been taught to just dump it and where are you dumping it on the inside? Dump it and leave it, dump it and leave it. And we're not, and so now we're at the point in society as a mass of people where the consciousness, we're looking at the millennials, they are no longer wanting to dump and leave it. They like this, the stuff that y'all have been doing, it's not working out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so we need to get more concerned about our lives. As concerned as people are with working a job that they can't fucking stand, they need to put that same effort into themselves. The same misery that we live every day and it becomes normal, we need to stop that. And it needs to be people like you who are very courageous enough to come out and say, look, this, this is my story. These are my hiccups and... Like, this is how I got through it without knowing shit. <laughs> this is how I got through it, you know? So, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're doing. And I, I didn't give you too much of a, you know, cliff note <laughs> about what we were going to be talking about because I want it to be that raw. I want it to be that real. And I want it to be that transparent which you were totally being, and I appreciate it. And I so honor you in this moment. Um, so anyway, to backtrack, so we have, we have this 15-year-old now. She's in high school. She just had to abort a baby. And so what happens after that? Like, who, but before that, like, who are you talking to? Like I said at this point, who is your sounding board? Who is, who is somebody at this point? You are, um, Antigone is, uh, my boyfriend probably was, um, but honestly, I feel like in reality, I dealt with most of it on my own. I don't think like I really talked as much as I could have, or maybe even should have to people about what was going on. Um, I don't think people really generally knew what was going on in my personal life or at home. And it was because this is like really me is this kind of happy joyous friendly person and so when you get me in the regular life like i show up to be kind and gentle and serving people so um so you you know and antigone and you know dukershine carrie dookie and um you know my girls back then i have had a ton of great friends throughout my life that have been there for me um, Antigone really, you know, I've known her, I knew her since so young. She really was on that path with me and saw the family stuff on other levels. 
Um, but I feel like mostly it was internalized. Exactly. And yeah, you know, and I just kept most of it in. Um, and was just always happy when I was around people. Because I've never been one that wants to uh, make other people, like misery loves company, that I've never exactly. aligned with that. You know, if I don't feel good, I'm gonna make sure you feel good. So, um, so mostly just kept it in and, um, and that, and, you know, broke down pretty much because I couldn't handle it all. I couldn't handle growing up and becoming a young woman and having a job and having to get to school and having to, you know, basically feed myself and buy my clothes and also have this kind of, um, painful relationship with my mom because I was like can we just be cool again like, I just want to be your daughter and you be my mom and we're just cool again and you know you don't have to take care of me in the same way and I, I can do things for myself but can't we just be cool and it just it it just wasn't there um so school started to really suffer and junior year I remember going back and I was like nope like after the abortion I came back like no it was kind of the first like no I'm doing it I'm about to crush this came back. I remember I had like a 3.5 at the end of first semester. Um, and then my mom and I got into our first physical altercation. Um, I don't even remember the reasoning now, but she just started to choke me. And you know, we're like 16 year old young women at the time. Like, um, I've dealt with the fact that I later ended up putting hands on my mom, but you know, at that time, <laughs> My mom was just trying to choke me. So the first time I threw her off of me and I ran away and I was gone for a couple of weeks um, and just stopped going to school, um, asked her to homeschool me, put me on a homeschooling program. And so at the end of the first semester, I just stopped going uh, and pretty much just stayed home every day and slept till like two o'clock and would go see my boyfriend at night and, um, and just kind of chill. Um, and then, um, it's interesting this was the first time that modeling like I almost was gonna really get into modeling and I went to go pay for some pictures and came home that day and my mom's current boyfriend was at the house and this is 17 this is at the end of junior year and uh, this dude I couldn't stand this dude me and my sister we couldn't stand him we just he was younger he's like actually 33 so now I'm like dang he was actually closer to my age than my mom's and was just an ass and um my mom was so serious about certain things like I don't like liars, um, no smoking. She hated cigarettes. So we literally had a, like a commercial no smoking sign in our living room. <laughs> Red letters, okay? Like I've never been to anybody's house who has a no smoking sign in their house. But my, my boo thing, my mom. So uh, she's super serious about it. And so dude was on the patio smoking. And the, he was outside, but the door was open. He was like standing in the patio and I'm 17 and I had just gotten back from paying actually these, to get these pictures on my own for my own money. And I had just gotten my driver's license. Like I was being really independent. I was dating um, my second serious boyfriend, college and high school boyfriend, um, great guy. And was was changing, you know, getting things right. And um, I told dude, I was like, hey, you know, my mom is not cool with you smoking. And we started basically having a, a verbal altercation. And I saw my mom come in from work. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're about to get it now. You know, I thought she was about to come inside and turn around and tell you, you better get out of my daughter's face. Because, again, as the daughter, I was still thinking, 
like my daughter thinks about me like it's my mom, you know. And uh, she came in and um, told him something sweet and turned around at me and started to choke me again. And um, I threw her, yeah, you know, 17, you know, it's like, so I threw her on the couch and um, went, for the, went for the phone actually, because the school police told me to call the, the police the next time this happened. So, um, so I picked up the phone and dialed 911 and she jumped on my back and started hitting me and pulling the phone out. And I threw her off of me and I reached over and I hit her uh, with a fist in her face at least once, maybe twice. Um, threw her off and then ran out and I uh, ran to my boyfriend's house, called the police there and was like, oh man, like you can't just be choking your children. Like she's about to go to jail. Like, oh, it's about to go down. I was like, I don't know. It had been intense for the last few years between she and I. And I didn't even want to see her in jail, but I was like, man, like you can't just be treating me like this. Like I'm your child. Okay. Yeah, I'll never forget um, watching the police walk up, knock on the door. I opened the door like, yo, you know, so enthusiastic about like, she's choking me. She's been abused. <laughs> like, come on, man. And he told me to turn around. And I was like, no. <laughs> I've never been arrested, but I knew if a police told you to turn around, <laughs> it's a wrap. That would be good. <laughs> so he put those cuffs on me, um, took me back to my mom's house, which is like just down the street. And um, my sister was there. My sister was like, my mom was, has been attacking her. She was attacking her. She was defending herself. Uh, my mom was like, get her out of here. I'm done, you know, acting crazy. And the police just decided to take me. So he took me to juvie. I was there for a month. Um, my brother and sister-in-law, my brother who told me originally that my uncle dad wasn't my dad, got in contact with my father. And um, he came and saw me in juvenile hall um, and then came and picked me up a week later and I went and moved with him. And um, a whole new trajectory of life, actually. Well, I put this shit out here, okay? <laughs> because we hear these stories all the time, you know, mothers and daughters fighting, and especially me, you know, I'm from Chicago. And for those of us who are from more urban areas, you know, the chicks that get into these kind of confrontations are usually the big mouth you know, girls with terrible attitudes and, you know, just like really bad behavior, you know, they act out, lash out. And so I just want to say how shocking that shit was <laughs> because you are not that type of person, like ever, like you have a temper, but it takes so much for you to even go there. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I just had to speak to your character. Like this isn't some normal-ish, you know, you wasn't a trouble starter. You wasn't wilding out all over the place. You wasn't a violent person, you know? Um, so that puts emphasis on how disruptive the situation kind of was in order for you to lash out like that. So moving on. So now we're, we're with Pops, right? And life has definitely changed. What happened? Life has changed. Well, and let me, because um, I feel like if I would be, I would just not be doing my story justice, justice if I didn't say what happened in juvenile hall. Yeah. Um, so I had been there for five days and the police were like, you're for sure going home in five days. It was Memorial Day weekend. And he's like, you'll, you'll go home on Tuesday. So I just had to make it to Tuesday. 
and I go to the court. I'm like, yes, it's Tuesday. I'm telling the girl, bye, y'all. Like, nice to see you. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. You got it worse than me. Sorry. And I'm going, you know. And I mean, seriously, because I was just so happy to be getting out of baby jail. Yes, yes. And the children in juvenile hall, um, there's so many children in juvenile hall that just come from messed up families and from messed up parents. And it's really sad, but um, it's really sad. But um, so I'll go to court and my mom is there. It's the first time I've seen her in five days. I actually didn't fully remember hitting her at that point. I had to actually see what happened to remember it. Um, because yeah, I'm not a fighter. If you hit me, I'm gonna hit you back. They actually taught me that as a child. They said, if somebody hits you. So, um, and I just black out, you know, Mars and Aries. When it happens, I just go and it's not fully my awareness. So, um, and then I come back real quick. So people don't, when they, they don't know where I disappeared, but it's, I really kind of disappeared. And so I didn't know, but when I've seen her in court, I look and she, her eyes, her eye was black. You know, I was like, wow, I did that. I couldn't believe that I had done that to her. But she wouldn't look at me. And I was like, okay, well, we're gonna have to deal with that. You know, like, I don't know what it's gonna be like when I get home. I'm just thinking like, man, she's gonna be so mad at me. She might kick me out. Like I'm thinking all these things, like what's it gonna be like when I get home? And um, she tells the judge pretty much, I don't want her anymore. Uh, I'm scared of her. She can't come home. And I was like, uh, mom. <laughs> she was sitting by, never forget looking like, mom, mom. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You cannot leave me here. <laughs> this isn't home. And um, the judge was like, all right, look at his calendar. See you in two weeks. And I was just like, jum, jum. And they sent me back to my cell. So because I had thought life was going to go back to normal, that walk back and then getting into the room, everybody was out at rec. It was like, it was like the end of the world to me at that point. Of course. And I laid on my bed and I cried and I felt like I cried for like forever. It was probably just a few minutes. I cried and I cried and I cried. My mother just abandoned me in juvenile hall. Like, did this really just happen? And then this voice said, get up. You are not your mother. And I was like, sat up. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I'm not my mom. <laughs> And um, something in me shifted that has never shifted back. And it was the first major shift of my life. And again, like I had already gone through things. So like I had already made bigger, big shifts of myself, but this was like, I'm never looking back. And um, yeah, then my dad came and picked me up a few weeks later. And then I had to move to the way other side of town. Um, I moved to, you know, off Duluth, um, Southeast San Diego, moved to a whole new neighborhood and with my family, who I had known most of them and had craved to be around, um, wanted so badly um, to be around my family. I knew I had big family. Um, and then I was there and I was a year and a half behind. Uh, I was a year, I was a year a year behind in school and behind in credits. Um, I was on probation. I had a nine o'clock curfew. My whole life was 20 minutes away in another neighborhood, all my friends, my boyfriend. So how did this happen? Did she end up like pressing charges? Cause like, how did you end up being on probation? Like, 
was in juvenile hall. I mean, the, the, the juvenile justice system is ridiculous and it's oppressive and it's, it's slavery of children. <laughs> I don't say slavery because they're not working to make money, but it's like, it's just so sad and it's a bunch of children. So because I, you know, I actually know, uh, I think it was because it was battery. So they gave me assault with a deadly weapon, actually. That's why they gave me a deadly weapon. <laughs> That's why. Um, yeah, because uh, my record, actually, I had it at 22 uh, when uh, Hurricane Katrina came through. I tried to get a job with FEMA. They were paying like $15 an hour for you to take calls. And it was a big background check and I couldn't do it because I had this misdemeanor on my record that I think I got expunged or covered or something, I can't remember. Oh my God. But, um, yeah, so I was on probation for six months. Um, but now this is new Lanita, right? So this isn't like, um, this isn't Lanita now, but this isn't Lanita little girl that five years earlier hated herself and who didn't want, who thought life was so bad that she didn't want to be alive and who couldn't imagine things changing that she just didn't want to be. And that she would, that was a different Lenita. It was, I have the whole world ahead of me. I have control over my life. I'm not my family. I'm not my mom. I'm not my past. I'm about to freak this, dude. I'm about to freak it. So um, I had, uh, you know, uh, counseling. I had to do uh, community service. Like I had all these things. I had to be home at nine o'clock every night and we got home at 8.59 every single night. <laughs> um, and I had to, to do, I made up like a, almost a whole year of, of credits that summer, um, got back into high school my senior year. Um, so for me, it was, it was a new me and it was, it was like the beginning of the woman who is, is here now um, when I started to realize Oh, you can do anything you want, man. And the whole world had been telling me since I was a little girl, the amount of potential I had, you know, the whole world, that's, that was one of the really special things for me. And I, I think that I can attribute it to like getting into those advanced classes in, in school, because I could see some of my counterparts that were in the quote unquote normal classes and the teachers weren't as tuned into the students. But I had teachers ever since I was really young that were like, Lanita, you you have potential there's something special about you and i don't think i ever really liked being told that but at the same time it gave me this confidence when i didn't have it you know i had people even like you and your mother who believed in me y'all believed in me in a way that that i needed before that day in juvenile hall and then after that day it's like i took all of what you guys have given to me and i really stood up on it and I started to just make the steps and make plenty of mistakes since then, but, um, but damn, it's been just getting better and better. Wow. <clears throat> okay, so we get off probation. We're now graduating high school, huh? So tell me, because I did go to the counseling and the counselor said, um, I don't think you need to come back. She was like, I don't think you need counseling. And it's interesting, because people tell me now I should go to counseling. <laughs> yeah. but, but uh, yeah, so I did counseling. She said, I think you're good. And, um, and that was big too, because I was like, you know what, I believe you. And I've believed, I've believed in that ever since. So I'm sorry, I just wanted to, to say that. Yeah. So <clears throat> now we are graduating high school. Like we had a tremendous summer. We got all caught up, caught up enough to be able to come back your senior year. And now what's going on? 
senior year with like a 3.3 GPA too, baby. Like I've got that little summer school, got straight A's, they oh, shouting out the counselors at Kearney High. They like made my transcript like look like I was just out of district. I came back, you know, I was, I was set at this point. I had a very clear mind state that I was going to do what, I was going to live up to the potential that people believed in me. Mm-hmm. And I went back to good community at Kearney, friends that I'd had for so many years, childhood friends, teachers that believed in me, Mr. Chapman, the school police believed in me, like I had people on my team. So came back, we had a dope senior year. We won um, the, new, the homecoming float, throwing up class yeah. of 01. <laughs> class of 01, um, got in, uh, applied for college, took my SATs. Um, got into college, got into San Diego State, which was mind-blowing to me that I had gone from like literally being more than a year out of credits of school. Like so many folks thought I was, that was a wrap. I had been pregnant. I'd been in jail. I've been <laughs> suicidal. I've been like I'll be sure age 17. Yeah, that's a lot. It looked, it looked it like I was going to be taking a different pathway. <laughs> it had looked like that, but, but I didn't. And uh, senior year was like this champion. I had to do night school. Um, you know, I just had all these stipulations on me and I, and I um, had a super tragic event happen at my father's house. Uh, one of those nights trying to beat that nine o'clock clock. Uh, me and my boyfriend were parked outside of the house and um, had this feeling of something, but went inside at nine o'clock and was brushing my teeth and um, heard gunshots. And uh, the guys that were outside right by our car, I had, I felt something. And uh, dude was, you know, murdered right there uh, on the driveway. Um, and so it was like this year of just like these extreme differences in my life. Like I was extremely this, experiencing this whole new environment and, um, family relationships and my, you know, dad, like, I didn't even know what to call him. Like, it was just all of this, this yeah. extremely shifting, but it, it, it almost had no power over what I personally was going through and how I personally was overcoming and, and growing up. Um, so yeah, I finished high school. Um, so why do you think it didn't have any power over you? Was it, was it because you were just so focused and motivated or was it because you had just been through a lot and were kind of like a zombie, like kind of numb? Probably. Um, like I said, I feel like my mother dragged me through the grit so that the rest of life was kind of not that bad because <laughs> the ups and downs don't stop. And a sensitive person like me, um, I can't, I, you know, I've seen in my past, I can get too high or too low. So I have been, I needed, and I need still people in my life that teach me how to stay even keel through it because I'm so sensitive. Um, but both, for sure. I was so focused, you know, like I was like, this is going to be the only way I make it, you know, is if yeah. I do it and if I decide and I'm going to college and I'm getting a degree and I'm going to have an apartment and I'm going to have a car and I'm going to be a woman. And also, yeah, like life has already been hard. And I wasn't the only child, like, 
the other thing about meeting my, especially my siblings and just coming to my father's family is I was ever able to meet other children who had gone through really crazy childhoods like me. You know, uh, my brother and my sister, um, both of my sisters and my brother, you know, all of them have been through really heavy parental experiences and childhoods. And so being able to meet my people who had also been suffering, you know, was like, this is what, I don't even want to say this is what I'm from, but this is what I'm from. And it was almost, it, it felt good even to be in it because it, it helped me see myself, you know, before not knowing my father, there were so many parts of me that I didn't understand. And now knowing my father and knowing my family better, it's like, I'm a McHugh, you know, like my mother yeah. gave me <laughs> Jones, but I really am a McHugh. And, um, you know, and it's just beautiful. So all of it, but really, really focused really, really focused. And I, to this day, you know, I might go to like my third birth, honestly now, but still, if something got really, really heavy, I would take myself back to 17, 18, 19 and, um, and remind myself that I got through that and remind myself how strong I was and how I got through it. Okay. So everything is going on make a list of all the things and just go through your list, baby, and just get through the list. And you don't have to stress out or overreact because of all the things you have to do to get your shit together. Make a list and go through the list and get the list checked off. And I've been doing that ever since. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we're in, we're in college, right? And so you're working. So where are you? What's going on in your life? Where are you living? Where are you on the dorms? Boyfriend? No boyfriend? What was going on? It was fun. Um, got into college 2001. Started college at San Diego State. Um, and got my own place. Got my own apartment. Uh, no, the first year I did it. So first year I actually stayed with a friend and with also my a brother and sister-in-law in my grandmother's home in Point Loma. So for the first year, I was not on my own. Um, and then the second year realized, like kind of learned how to balance my money a little bit better and started realizing, okay, I don't have to have a $700, $800 a month, you know, to be able to pay this rent and just like figuring out these basics of, of actually doing it and not spending that financial aid check on clothes <laughs> like the first year. <laughs> yeah. Um, or whatever I spent it on the first year, a trip and some things. And but, what was um, your major? Well, I got my degree in, well, so at that point, um, I went in as a, pol a political science major, actually, because coming out of juvenile hall, um, I knew for sure at that point, <laughs> at 18, I knew for sure what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> and um, I was like, I am for sure going to be a lawyer. People have been telling me my whole life I should be a lawyer going to be a lawyer and I'm going to go fight for these kids in this juvenile justice system. So I went in as poli sci um, and, you know, didn't really like it right away. I think I took a political science like 101. I was like, oh no, this isn't going to be for me, but went through it. Um, freshman year, yeah, uh, kind of just working. I had two jobs, full load, 15 units, just trying to balance it. Um, my brother got sick that summer of my freshman year. Um, and 
and actually my grandmother passed before and that's why I moved over to that house. But my grand, my brother got sick that summer and then starting my sophomore year of college, uh, it was decided that I was going to be donating my kidney to my brother. Um, so we started that process in sophomore year. I got my own first apartment out in El Cajon. Uh, the dopest spot, it was this upstairs corner unit. Oh, so dope for $700 a month. I'll never forget this spot. Um, and my boyfriend, you gave up a kidney. <laughs> we got to rewind this. Okay. Because I am a very giving person, honey. I am, you know, and I love humans. And I love my family, okay? But I don't know about giving up a kidney. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> what the hell made you give up a kidney? Uh, it was, um, I remember him, I remember them calling me, telling me that he was sick. It was in August. And they were like, my mom has kidney failure. And uh, I think I cried a bit. And then I was like, oh, so he just needs a new kidney, right? And <laughs> like yeah and I was like all right well he can have one of mine so it just didn't seem what other option was there like right. my brother is sick and is gonna die he had two young children you know he had um a two-year-old and a three-year-old I think at the time or one-year-old and a two-year-old and those are my babies. And I couldn't even fathom thinking of them thinking that their dad died. Like, no, he's going to be fine. We're just going to get him a kidney and we're going to move on. <laughs> right. So you wasn't scared, no nervousness. Just look, A, A plus B equals C. He need a kidney. I'm giving it. It's done. Like. Virgo rising, right? So Virgo rising is like, this is what makes sense. So let's do this. Um, yeah, pretty much. I didn't get scared until the day of the surgery. Um, mm -hmm. the night before they had me take a laxative and that the way that laxative worked, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. <laughs> I've never had a laxative that is meant to clean out your bowels so you can go into major surgery and have an organ removed, you know? Um, so that, that was when it started setting. And then on the table or like in the bed before, I remember really, really shaking to where the whole bed was shaking and I started to yeah. get nervous. And then coming out of it, I was nervous for a couple of weeks. But no, I mean, it just felt like, well, so I said, yeah, let's do it. And then they had to start the testing. Um, because just because I want to give him a, a kidney, we don't have the same father. You know, we have the same mother. And chances are even that at that point, I have the same kidney disease or I have some type of kidney issue because we're, we're siblings. So we don't know if I'm, I'm going to work. So they start doing the matching. And, um, and I'm like better than regular match. <laughs> <laughs> In perfect alignment. Yes. They're like, well, you're looking, they look for six genetic markers and they're like, at most we would think the best situation for you guys to only have the same one parent. Most you're going to have three. You guys have four of the six. So it was his kidney. It was his kidney. I grew the kidney for him. I didn't have any of like the signs that now I have multiple family members that have kidney failure. So any of these signs that they have had or they have, or, you know, I don't, I've never had any of that stuff. Like I was just this bill of health. And obviously I was 19, but obviously my body was very different. 
from my family's body. So I, I had a kidney to give. I was supposed to do it. Nice. Okay, so you give up the kidney. What's going on now? to school and and change my major <laughs> I was like oh now I got to be a kidney donation doctor <laughs> Gemini Midheaven <laughs> <laughs> I'd already had probably 20 jobs you know I started working at 14 and I had at least 20 different jobs by the time I was in college I would imagine um, so then the kidney had transplant I'm like no I'm going to be a doctor. <laughs> Forget this. I'm going to be a doctor. I get into a calculus from a biological perspective and I change my mind then too. <laughs> uh, I start taking African history classes and I had always had this very strong affinity and pull to my black side and wanted to be, I just felt like that was where I belonged and not as much with my white mother and her white family and just that white culture. So um, once I got into these classes and started to learn history, which was something I kind of despised in high school from this international and oppressed people's perspective, um, I, I fell in love with history and um, ended up graduating with Af Africana studies uh, major or degree and a minor in anthropology. So I ended up becoming a history, cultural history uh, major. Um, but yeah, just school, partying, having fun, figuring out who I was, um, trying to maintain two jobs, got a good job where I only had to work one for a while. And then um, senior year came and I was either going to do one more year and take two semesters of like 20 plus units or I was going to have to do a fifth year. And there was this point in one of my African history classes that they were talking about Martin Luther King and they were talking about how he was uh, assassinated when, not when he, not when he did all the work that he's known for, like Martin Luther King is known for fighting for the rights of brown people, of black people in this country. He wasn't murdered when he was doing all of that. He was murdered when he got into labor and to money and started dealing with money. And there was something about that day in class that when the teacher told me that, when the professor told that to me, something shifted in me. And I was like, wait a minute. I think you're lying. <laughs> I think the whole system is lying. And I don't trust none of y'all no more. <laughs> and something just shifted in me. And I would say I got a little depressed even because I really wanted to stop going to school. But I was not going to not get my degree. So... Um, I did like 23 units the last two semesters of college so I could get done. So I could not, cause that fifth year I wasn't gonna make it. I was gonna, it wasn't gonna happen. Um, and um, due to that load, had like an anxiety attack at one of my jobs. Um, my mother actually, so actually my mother, oh, so this is, I have to connect this. When I left my mom's house, I didn't speak to my mom. She would not speak to me for years. And so the first time that I saw my mother was the second day after the kidney transplant. I was laying in the bed and my mom came in with a handful of wood and walked in and said, well, what happened here? And that was the, the reintroduction that I had to my mom since June. <laughs> this is the last time I seen her in court. Um, so we had slowly started to rebuild 
and I had this anxiety attack in college and quit my job and gave up my apartment and moved back with my mom or moved into this place with my mom for about four months. Um, and then got that semester done, got the next semester done, graduated from college and like took a breath, like, wow, I can't believe you just did that. <laughs> And then you got married and started having some babies. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then I um, then I left San Diego with a job, went up to Orange County, and uh, started getting a taste of making money. Um, liked making some money, but also was still connected to that college experience of the school system is lying. There's something really, there's something really off, Lanita. And you don't know it yet, but there's something really off. And um, also, the entrepreneur in me started to develop. I had this idea for, uh, um, at this point, nobody really was doing it, but a late, a 24-7 healthy fast food delivery, actually. Healthy fast food delivery. Oh, that's so a bunch. Yeah. Yeah, because this is when I started eating well. I was already, but this is when I was starting to cook a lot and starting to really get into, like, making my own flavors and when safari and i met safari was a chef so this was like food and healthy eating and foods giving you cancer like that stuff started to become really important to me because I, I started to realize that the system was lying and what they were advertising and what they were saying in school and what they were saying at work and me chasing money to you know get this house to be off to pay these huge taxes i was like do i really actually want to do all this like so I became vegetarian um, then, and then the door just started to, my mind just started to really open, and, and I re-educated myself. Um, I went and for, yes, Safari, we moved to, he was actually already in Oregon, but I left Orange County, moved up to Oregon at 25, and um, read like a hundred books in a year in like a summer because I just had realized they had, they were lying to me. Lenny. You don't actually know almost anything. They chose your books. They chose what they were teaching you. It's from a particular perspective. Like you need to go and find as much knowledge as you can on your own. So um, did that. And at the same time, that's when we started yeah, planning, having a family um, and got pregnant with, I think in my 25th year, um, and then lost that baby. And 100% at that point in time, uh, as I bled that baby to the toilet, literally, um, I knew I was paying karma for, it was 10 years almost to like the month, it was a couple months off of 10 years to when I aborted. Um, and I just knew that this was a karmic payoff that I had to live through. Um, so that was 25. We were in Arizona at the time. Um, and then we moved to Hawaii and had our first daughter there. And um, shoot, it's just been living since then. Like life has just, it's been crazy ever since then. <laughs> okay, so I want to make this clear because um, like I was saying earlier, we're in a, a society where, you know, a lot of a lot of us hate what we do. <laughs> we like literally work these jobs to get these monies to take care of our so-called livelihoods and people are miserable, right? 
And so with you and your journey, and I've always said this to you, I love it because you live it. You know what I mean? Everything that you represent, everything that you put out there is actually what you're living. And so you started this, you said vegetarian diet? Year 23 or 24, I became vegetarian. And it was based on learning that agriculture itself was the reason our, at the time, I thought our climate was being destroyed. Um, it's agriculture. Once we stopped moving with seasons and with animals and being hunter-gatherers, whatever we would call that, and we stopped and we started farming, um, especially livestock, uh, that's when shit kind of got messed up. And I was anti-civilization even. I had just gone so far away, like, no guys, like the answer isn't reparations. That's not actually the answer. That's not gonna do anything for anybody. That's not going to actually heal you or the ancestral you know, past that you're trying to overcome. We actually have to look at the root of the problem. We have to get the cancer out. So vegetarianism was a part of me trying to find the cancer, which to me at the time was civilization itself. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it, it deals with that because because I could go make good money, you know, and I could go get good jobs and make a lot of money. Even then I was like, man, I could go do this. I had a couple jobs in my hands. I was like, ah, oh, shoot. But there was nothing nourishing about being in those, in those jobs at all, except you could buy a lot of stuff. Um, and that's what civilization has taught us is to not only buy stuff, but to hoard stuff. And that's when stuff started getting wrong because when you stop and farm, you have to store your food. You have to store your food. You have to keep it away from pests and from rodents. And so humans learned to store and to have their own. And this is mine because they grew it and they put the energy into it. Um, and so when I really started to tune into those, like, okay, this is the core issue, guys. It's actually property and this consumerist, you know, mindset that's making so many of us sick. And I just wasn't with it. And so um, that brings us to, I kind of want you to explain, because now you're the plant lady. And um, I mean, you've done so much with that, right? And I mean, you've written books, you have shows, you started up broadcasting networks. I mean, so where I want to go with that is the first, time that you felt that you needed to share this information like the first time it felt that strongly within you that you know it's my favorite part of the story actually <laughs> uh, <laughs> my most favorite part of the story um yeah you know um motherhood really put a pressure on me i want to say that because i know that um motherhood can break some women down um, it broke me down and built me up time and time again. It still does. And motherhood, my, my first daughter out in Hawaii in the middle of the ocean around nobody I knew, just me and my baby girl. And after having lost a child, she, it was just the most, oh, just, I will do anything for you. And her, I remember how, how pure her body was. She was drinking my milk and her poop was so pure. It smelled like roses and all I wanted was to maintain as close to that optimal health for her for the length of her life, like as long as possible, that's what I was gonna be dedicated to. 
So I dedicated myself. Like you said, people decide to go to a job every day. I decided my job every day was to learn how to live the most natural and healthy lifestyle for myself and for my children. Um, and that naturally brought me to plants. Um, Anti-civilization too. So agriculture also brought me into this because I learned about food forestry um, during these years of young mothering and late nights and never sleeping. Um, the anti-civilization, anti-agriculture movement took me into food forestry because this is a true solution for humans. These are truly self-sustained food systems that we've been planting for thousands of years. So um, I just became this, this sponge of knowledge and of learning. Yes. And um, hours and hours and hours. So my knowledge base from like before I started kids, I, I like I said, I read about 100 books, I think it was 77 books this one summer. And, and it was and then I felt like that's all lies and I have to start all over. Um, and I didn't trust the information. That was the other thing too, is like for me, like college and then our high school and college and then after college, I was like, I don't trust it. I don't trust it. Like, I still feel like I'm being lied to, you know? And I didn't feel confident with telling people what I was learning because my Virgo rising, my extremely analytical brain was like, nah, bro, like there's still holes to the story. Like I can't go tell the story yet, you know? And, um, you and I were talking a lot those days and just talking for hours and we were going through massive spiritual, um, you know, individual um, uploads and downloads and shifts and breakdowns and, up, uh, and upload or, and rebuilds, but also like together, you know, we were yeah. I feel like exploring our astrological charts together and, you know, really our energies were doing something that we've been doing from day one when we met in this Pope's class but it was this um, other level of authenticity that I feel like, I don't know, it was just something new. We were just being so real together and just growing, 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 growing. And, you know, I had already been working with the plants for years, but I had finally started coming to the realization that, hey, hey, you know what? You got something. You got it. This plants, food forestry, healing with plants, using plants to heal, using plants to eat. Look at your life. Look at your health. Look at you. Look at your brain. Look at what you've overcome. Hey, you got something. There's no holes in nature, Lenita. There's no holes in plants. Um, even the holes that do exist in plants create this perfect healing being. So once I started to really align with nature and using it daily, um, I started to get more confident with telling people about all of my years of lessons and what they brought me to. And so I just started to, I mean, I feel like I always talk to you too, but uh, maybe I just started to open up more, I guess, or, or I don't even know. For me, but just being an observer, your comfort level changed. <clears throat> you were more comfortable with expressing that other side. Portland too and I had this amazing garden and I, I had planted like a hundred different types of plants in this garden and I was with this garden so many hours and just like I was I was truly healing I was truly healing I was I was mothering my children how my mother 
couldn't. And I was recognizing how it was paying off. And I was proud of myself for the mother I was and the woman I'd grown into. And I was good with my mother and she and I were talking and she knew my children and my dad is good. And like, my friends are good. And like, my life is, is cool. And I was, was just feeling so well. And, and actually also things went crazy then too. Like my life also fell apart then too, but I was feeling, yeah, confidence building that, hey, I think you went through everything, Lanita, to actually do really, to really help people. Um, so I can remember standing in the kitchen in Portland and talking to you. And I was like in the back door and, um, and you were like, friend, um, you know a lot. You need to be telling people this. <laughs> And it was almost just like that basic of a line. And I was like, huh, I think you're right. <laughs> and um, wasn't on social media before then. It's so I had just gotten on, was on any social media, really had no clue what was going on in the world, actually. Like baby, plant, mama world, like had no clue what was going on. We opened a juice bar, um, probably either right before that or right after that. And with your encouragement and another sister in recent, also a couple days later, a, a, a woman I don't really know at all, got, got it through the grapevine to me. He was like, hey, tell Anita she needs to be out in the community working. Um, and then I went, started working at the juice bar. And it's a trip when you're a business owner. Yeah. <laughs> People respect you differently. <laughs> People respect you differently when you are a business owner and don't have a, don't have a retail front or something where you can be like, no, this is my business. They'd be like, well, what you have to say? Right. <laughs> I was saying the exact same thing I had been saying, <laughs> but I got in that juice bar and the people were like, what, what are you talking about? And, um, and it, and it just built and it just built. And I, I really, I committed, I learned about people making money online. I didn't really get that before. I was like, oh wait, I'm a writer. People are making money on blogging. Like, well, let me get a blog. <laughs> um, I knew that, you know, we unschool our children, we homeschool them. So I knew I needed to have an at home income. And there are people that open their laptops and get paid from being on their laptop. So I decided then five years ago, I was gonna be one of those people and um and i've just been working really hard at being one of those people ever since then and taking the advice of my gemini soulmate um to tell the world who i actually am because yes. <laughs> this is me okay so we have aligned with plants tell us about aligned with plants as you're drinking your plants right now. <laughs> juice, this is an original green juice. Um, we make whole food juices, so they're um, with the fiber, delicious. Um, check out lanitanash.com for recipes. Um, yeah, Line with Plants started after the juice bar. So we had that for four years, but after the first year of me running it, I started to recognize my children were suffering at home and that I needed to be home with them. Um, but I needed to get out into the community for a year and grow and develop my own self. 
So when I came home, I was like, well, I'm not going to stop what I'm doing because I don't need to be at the juice bar to serve and to do my work and to share plant love. I have the laptop. So um, I created a line of plants. I can't even really remember where the name came from either. Initially, it was just I started recognizing I was in alignment with plants. Like, they started to communicate with me. I had my first um, romantic experience with a plant. Like, I say romantic because I felt for this leaf like I would feel for a man. Like it was the same frequency or experience within me. And um, that was, Roz was just about two. So that was like 2013. And ever since then, plants, they're, I'm really sensitive. So what life really is, is an energetic frequency experience. Everything is this energetic frequency. It's a pattern that they show you like the wavelengths, like life is this wavelength, this experience of up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down with some, some neutral center. And we all have the ability to tune into those vibrations and sense them and understand frequency more than what we think. Like what we're seeing is frequency, what we hear is frequency, but like a rainbow is frequency too. And a rainbow is only there when certain conditions exist, then you see the rainbow. But just because you don't see the rainbow doesn't mean the rainbow isn't always there, right? Okay. So there's this whole experience of life that is like that. That's, that's a vibration like a rainbow that can come or go or that you might see or you might hear or you might not, but it doesn't mean it's not there. And so as a highly sensitive person um, and as somebody who has dedicated my life to nature and to living natural ways and to the earth and um, I've developed a, an ability to decipher more frequency tones. Mm. And so I can hear plants. You know, mm -hmm. when I say talk to me, I want to say that, but I wanted to give a more in-depth understanding of what plants talking to me actually is. Exactly. Plants vibrate and emanate vibration and frequency. That's what they do. That's what everyone does. Yes, and yes. some of us, especially with strong Piscean placements, um, strong water influences and some people who just train and and everyone really but some of us are really really good at deciphering the frequencies around us or at least feeling them and then we learn how to decipher deciphering is hard deciphering is, is much more challenging but with practice and, and plants they're such amazing counterparts on the earth they grow for everything plants grow to feed us, to heal us, to clothe us, to give us stuff to build our houses, to give us stuff to burn, to, you know, for energy. They give us everything. So they're like these amazing counterparts. And when you align with them and when you look at them as equals and as counterparts and you respect them like you would a human, they, they invest even more energy and attention to you. And they help you learn to decipher frequency more. And it sounds kind of crazy what I'm saying, but this is like an age long, this is like the, the history of humanity. You know, humans, every traditional culture says, when asked, how did they know these plants do these things? They said, the plants told me. Plants have been telling us stuff forever. <laughs> That's what they do. Um, exactly. It's just like these cities have tricked us.
Exactly. Oh my God. Thank you so much for that um, total breakdown, especially, I don't know if you know what you just did, but thank you for the total breakdown of frequency and vibration, because that is key. And there are a lot of us um, who are just not there yet to where you're able to um, pick up on that vibration or frequency just because you're simply not vibrating there and when you're not vibrating there you don't know to look there you know so thank you for putting out that little tidbit of information because now people know so they can start looking <laughs> okay so then we we took a line with plants and um we're making a blog you said you were doing a blog um the babies were needing some special attention at home so mommy is now at the computer, like we're going to make some smunnies from that. <laughs> and I'm going to spread my message, right? So we have a line with plants. We have the blog. What comes after that? Podcast, uh, line with plants, line with health, the podcast. Um, I started to interview people and started to just really focus on the other people in my community because the, one of the the plants gave me a, a major three-point message. Um, interdependence, diversity, and nourishment are the primary is the primary foundation of any healthy ecosystem. Mm. So in any ecosystem, whether it's your cell, your body, your family, a forest, the whole earth is dependent, is dependent on these three things. So you have to be interdependent. three things again. Interdependence, um, that is, symbiosis that's you need me and I need you and not necessarily on an individual level always although that is the case too but it's it's this larger recognition that without you there's no I like the I only gets to experience itself when it separates and there's two so interdependence diversity so in order for us to be interdependent we have to be different you know if you were just like me you couldn't have told me that day in the kitchen. We need to go tell you. You couldn't have told me that story. You would have also been stuck in whatever vibration I was in and we wouldn't have got nothing done. Right. right. <laughs> so we have to be different. And diversity is like, is a rule of life. And it's something that we've kind of written off as like a quota in an office or something basic. No, baby, diversity is required. And you are wasting your time if you're not appreciating and respecting the diversity around you. You know, if you're worried about judging the diversity, you're wasting your time because they have to be different. <laughs> have to. Um, they have to. And then nourishment. So we, we are interdependent. We're all different. So we work, we actually work. And so in that relationships or in those relationships, we are going to nourish each other. And that's how rebirth is truth and how life continues to move on because that's what we're wired to do is be different do it together and give each other everything we need to be alive mm. that's life so when the plants gave that to me that message to me it was so heavy it's still heavy initially all i knew was to say it so i was just like interdependence diversity nourishment i was just talking about it all the time and i realized now i don't think people really knew what i was talking about <laughs> But um, I just was just saying it so much because it was so real. But what I started to do was align with plants. 
So, okay, so y'all are living in respect of interdependence, diversity, and nourishment. I got to make sure I'm living in respect of interdependence, diversity, and nourishment. I need to make sure that my body, my house, my community, my garden, my um, world, what I see as my world, is that I'm actually doing what the plants are showing me what to do. They're showing me how to have a healthy ecosystem. If I want to have a healthy forest, do what plants do. If I want to have a healthy home, do what plants do. Um, And a lot of what that is, is each plant grows with 100% of its genetic information in its seed. That plant grows with an imprint and with a story that was written into its, its, its energy frequency and imprint. That plant only knows to stay true to that vibration and to that. (laughs) That grows up and it never, it never changes course. It grows and it stays. I'm, my whole body's chilling right now. It grows and it stays true to its energetic imprint day one to the day it dies to nourish the next generation. And so as I aligned with plants and as I continued to open my heart without fear of it being broken or without fear of it being hurt and love and write poetry and be true to myself and tell the world, Hey, this is who I am. And sometimes I'm crazy. And sometimes, you know, um, I began to be, in alignment with my true frequency and my genetic imprint and the imprint of the environment I was born in and who I'm supposed to be. And, um, and then the work just started rolling. It was like, I was on fire. I gave birth to a Sagittarius. (laughs) He killed me. Naturally, we have to put that out there. Okay. Because we had the little one naturally and he was 11 pounds. How many ounces, honey? 11 pounds, 12 ounces, I think. 11 pounds, 16 ounces, damn near 12 pounds, 23 inches long, big baby. Um, Sagittarius. And I'll, my Gemini, you know, I wanted to say this actually because I had this thought before we went live. Um, I literally look up to Gemini. You know, my midheaven, my 10th house is the top of my sky at the time of my birth. And so many people don't get Gemini. <laughs> they don't. But they don't. I literally look up to Gemini. Um, so thank you, friend. Um, I look down. I'm from Sagittarius. My fourth house is in Sagittarius. My core, the, the fire that, that is, is the furnace that can burn me, that can allow me to be my 10th house, that allow me to express my highest point was my son, my third baby, my Sagittarius. He came through, he set that furnace on fire inside of me. And it's been six years now, it just has not gone off. Um, I, wanna, I wanna put this into the story too, because I don't tell this, this always, but, so the first, the first shifting point of my life was in juvenile hall, 17 years old, get up, you're not your mom, boom. I have my son, I have Zakai. He was born in December. I started to do kundalini yoga. It didn't take me as long with number three to get back. I got back. I started a cookie business. Um, I was in the community already. Like number three, he got put on the back and it's time to go. 
um, I was doing Kundalini yoga every day. And April 24th, so Zakai was five months old, four months old. Um, Delmara, shouting out Delmara, sent me this movie to watch called The Shift. And I was watching it and it was super corny. I was like, man, you know, I didn't have like a lot of white friends growing up. <laughs> and, uh, and Delmara was one of my, I've told her this story many times, and Delmara was one of my like newer white friends, you know. I don't and think white though. <laughs> None of my white girls either are actually. They're all like got that. that, that to them. Uh, but Delmara was, you know, and and she and I, we were like, we're gonna be friends. You know, we were we were opening our hearts, like, no, we're gonna be friends because I just love her so much. She's so amazing. So she sent me this movie though, and I was like, man, how am I gonna tell this my new friend that this is the corniest movie? She, I can't watch this corny. Movie. Like, girl, don't you know I'm cool? Right? <laughs> what is this shit? But, um, and so the baby woke up. I ran into the room, nursed him back to sleep, and then um, came back out to the movie still playing. And I sat down and looked at the movie. And right at the time that I looked, uh, it was about, the movie's about a brother or a guy named Dr. Wayne Dyer who wrote The Power of Intention highly recommended book, The Power of Intention. Um, especially if you want to live in alignment with plants, read The Power of Intention. Also read The Lost Language of Plants, please. Um, but it was a Wayne Dyer movie and he said, everything is okay. And that's, that was all he said. And it was like that day in juvenile hall when I had this voice this time the voice was on the screen, but as soon as he said it, my head dropped back. I started to laugh and cry simultaneously. I was laughing because I couldn't believe I ever doubted everything was okay. And I was crying because I knew everything was okay. And as my head dropped back and that both of the laughing and crying happened at the same time, I had a very prominent, energy come down into my head go down along my spine and come out of my body and i was just sitting there flabbergasted not knowing what the hell had just happened but knew everything was okay and um i've been working in that energy ever since uh, now i kind of think maybe an energy entered me and i'm kind of working on somebody else's energy frequency <laughs> i don't know exactly what's happening now i have some new thoughts now but um, but ever since then, I've just, I've had this fire burning in me to work hours that I don't know where they're coming from to make, I've written, I've done, I think seven paperback books and now I think four different eBooks and I've got, had a podcast and we have the one TV and now we what have are these books? What are these books? Um, I have multiple poetry books because I'm a poet and I've also created a couple of poetry anthologies. So I have four poetry books. Um, Ancient Future is a, a, a community poetry anthology written by, I think there's 16 of us, um, old friends and new friends. Coach Scotty is actually an author in that book. Wow. I know, right? <laughs> uh, um, he's actually an author in both of my anthologies. Um, our anthologies, I would say. Um, 
the Good Life Poetry Anthology as well. These books are available on Amazon.com. You can buy these, buy them there or at LanitaNash.com. Um, and then I also did a book called Transitioning to a Plant-Based Lifestyle, which is really showing people how to align with plants in the kitchen, recipes, cookbook type deal. Um, I also wrote a book called Unschooling Works, which is about how we um, raise our children and how we educate them at home. Um, and then I just dropped uh, a couple new eBooks and Herbal Remedies, Herbal Remedies 2020, available at LanitaNash.com that has over 60 of my personal herbal tips, remedies, home things that I do that all work, um, and, a, and a few other. You can check it all out at LanitaNash.com. Um, yeah, I just, I, I got into social media marketing and started marketing for other companies because the thing is, is being online um, and making money from the internet, it's not easy. It's not an automatic easy thing. And it takes learning what it is. So I could have went to like a class and learned it from a class and learned it from somebody. But I don't like doing that. I like to learn things on my own. So I, I like just dug through and learned step by step how to grow an online social media presence or how to use Facebook to grow an audience. Because your Facebook audience is different than your Instagram audience, which is different than your LinkedIn audience, which is different than your in-person audience which is different than your website audience and back in the day um when i went anti-civilization i like gave up business i was like anti-business i was anti-money anti-business i was like bro it's business that's ruining you guys want to change the world stop stop having businesses stop using money stop right. you know supporting this sick system so it was that was also actually, you know, we didn't really talk about that, but that was kind of like this underlining challenge for me too, is breaking outside of business can be good too. You're actually a businesswoman. You're actually an entrepreneur. You actually have to go out and make business. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've just done so many things over the last, since those years, I can't even think of all the projects, but um, basically what I've been learning is how to be my best self and do my work with the resources that I have in the current living situation that I'm in. And I think I'm doing a pretty damn good job. So like you said, you do have a lot of things that you have done. You also have a lot of things going on. Um, so at your moments where you're just like, fuck, I'm tired. <laughs> like, I'm tired, you know, like, I just, I don't have the energy today. Like, I just, how do you stay motivated and inspired when, you know, like you just can't muster it? I do have those days. Um, I used to have those weeks or those months and even those years. And I really like to actually talk to that about people too and bring people to the awareness that I do have those days and I've had those weeks and months and years. So just because I've had those days and that time feeling like that, you still are honoring me and telling me how much I get done. And like, you're, you're giving me that reflection. So I like to let people know that like, Hey, you too can have some off days, weeks, months, or years and still be, you know, like doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. You know, a lot of times we get, we're too, we're too hard on ourselves. And I'm, a, I'm hard on myself, okay? Like, I am hard on myself. But what my past has really shown me was that um, 
you know, at 12 years old, I thought I, I didn't want to be alive anymore. And the reason that I didn't kill myself was because very quickly I was like, wait a minute, this is about to change. I'm not always going to be in this situation. <laughs> I'm going to grow up and not have to live at home one day. And so I have a, um, some ability to know that everything's going to change, you know, mutable Piscean energy. Um, if I don't feel good right now, if I wait long enough, I'm going to feel good again. So when I don't feel good, I tend to just, at this point in life, you know, it wasn't always this easy. I used to be much more hard on myself and would get really upset with myself when I wouldn't feel good. But at this point, it's like, bro, take the day. Just take the day. You know what I'm saying? Um, get what you have to get done. Uh, I think that I don't know what else I would be doing with my life. So I have this intense passion for what I'm doing that I hear a lot of people say they don't have. So... Um, that, that's really important. And I have to make sure that I put that into it. I keep going and stay motivated because I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else. There's nothing else that I would know to do on the earth. No, and that's a key point to bring in because I think that a lot of people not loving life and not feeling inspired and not feeling motivated is because they're not doing what's true to them. They're not doing what they're in love with as far as a profession which is where they spend the majority of their time and so for you you're actually living what you're doing <laughs> so you know that's the thrive and the motivation because that's that's where your heart is that's where your spirit you know that's where the alignment is with your purpose um so thank you for for clarifying that because that's crucial in this video yeah and it's, it's crucial to stay motivated and to stay inspired you know um because yeah i mean you know and there's still there's still little moments nanoseconds where i'll be like what if you just stopped what if you just stopped and um and then very quickly like the whole energy of the whole world says you can't so I just don't go farther than that now, but that is still this like, remember how, remember how it wasn't, remember how it was before you were doing all this stuff? <laughs> remember how it was, you know, before you had this continual calendar in your mind of checklists of things to do, of people to contact, of projects to get done, of deadlines of, you know, I just have created this, this life for myself where every day my brain is just always going through this checklist and, and sometimes I think do you remember when you when you wasn't like that or when you and um and I do I just don't pre I don't prefer it now you know I don't prefer okay. to have an idle mind I don't prefer to you know watch other people's creations right doesn't even feel right it doesn't feel right to me you know sometimes and I do appreciate other people's creations so I don't want to say at all but like the majority of my energy feels like it I need to create you know, like we don't, so many of us say that we don't, we don't like things about our world or our society or our cities or our schools or our jobs. Like you're saying, like we're in these, we're, we're, we're miserable. We hate life even. Um, do you know the only way that we can make that different? <laughs> There's only one way and it's to change the things you can control. And there's only one thing that you or I can control. The only thing I can control is myself. I can't control anything but me. Perhaps my children at certain ages and in certain ways, but 
I can only control myself. So I don't want to spend my time here with this extreme power to control this being, what I've been through, what I have made it through, what I've been able to smile through. You know, I've never held a grudge against my mother. I've never held a grudge against really anyone, you know, like what I've been able to live through and thrive through. I want to use that vessel to the best of its ability. Like I got some extreme strength and power that I can now verify from years past. Like, no, you did that. So that's you. Now, if you use that person and that person's lessons to do good or to just do it, to express what you want into the world, then you're actually helping change the world. Mm. Um, so I don't remember exactly where, why I started that. Now I've gone off into a tangent someplace else. But <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. We were just talking about how, like, you know, that's what keeps you motivated and grounded and inspired is the fact that you're living what you do, you know, and it's, it's in alignment with your purpose here. Culture too, so that's what it is, is that if you want to change the world, you guys have to change yourself first. Change your mind to change your world. So if we don't like the world, we don't like the culture, we don't like the schools, we don't like whatever it is, there's only one thing you can do is get control of the thing you can control, which is you, and then do what you actually want to see. So if you want to see a different type of a culture, create that culture. Don't consume that culture. <laughs> create the culture that you want to see. And I'm not saying that you individual person are going to recreate the culture of the world but you won't if you don't try, you right. know? Right. Right. Magnet. That's what I call this vibrational magnets. So it's like you're attracting what you're thinking, <laughs> you know? And so your emotions are what fuel the thoughts to, you know, for you to attract whatever it is that you're feeling. So in order to change what's going on around you, you definitely have to change your mind because you're the creator. So thanks. go creator. ahead. I'm I'm you're the creator. So, you know, instead of sitting and, and absorbing other people's creations, create. Instead of reacting to other people's creations, you create it. Instead of being a reactor, be a creator. Yes, yes. Well, Miss Lanita Nash, I'm so happy. This was a great show. So before we end it real quick, tell us what you got going on behind you. Oh, I am in the herb shop um, in Tempe, Arizona, at the herb shop on 8th Street in Tempe, uh, aligned with Plants Herb. That's, that's the name of the shop. Um, about a week before my birth, oh, about three weeks before my birthday in March, I got this extreme download of get back to the plants, stop everything you're doing and get back to the plants. And uh, it was kind of hard, but I did. And then COVID, the, the uh, shutdown went, happened the day after my birthday and I was back to the plants already and uh, decided to open back up the herb shop here in Tempe um, so we can be available. Um, my family was really not affected by this whole you know what happened the last couple months and i know that it has a lot to do with the actual lifestyle that we live uh the way that we eat the way that we shop uh that we don't send our children to school um that we're pretty much entrepreneurs and you know more self-dependent 
um, even that we're not frequenting, you know, this, the regular cultural, you know, things of our culture. Um, it just didn't affect us as much. And the value in that is, has been hard for me to really recognize. But I finally getting to the point where, oh, this is really valuable, what you're doing, Lenita. Your, your life and your experience is really valuable because um, to just bring it full circle, you know, um, and I said, you asked me, is there anything that we're not talking about? And I said, well, I don't really talk about this much, but I have to bring it full circle. And it's really fair to wrap this up like this because that little girl went through a lot of stuff not feeling loved by dad and feeling like my mom lied to me and, and all that stuff. And now I have a little girl and the most important thing to me with her was that, that she didn't ever question herself to get love from someone else. And so, you know, her father and I, their father and I, um, have been separated now for five years and our relationship fell apart years ago in Portland. Um, as I was being rebirthed, you know, like we didn't make it and it's been five years now, five and a half years now. And to be able to recognize that that girl, you know, who was drugged through the dirt has now been able to, you know, I'm not perfect. I got issues. I'm, I'm, I'm always going to have issues to heal, but I have been able to successfully create a life where five years after my children's father and I have no longer in love I still have my family together I still I still don't have to lie to my daughter I still don't have to give my daughter some other man or some other dad or or no dad or have her feeling like you know her dad left her or something like I'm I'm still keeping it together and it doesn't make everybody doesn't agree with it but for my path and the path of my children the path of my daughter and the women of my life to me, this is like the major W, like big West Side Connect W um, is, you know, I'm truly healing my family past and I'm doing it through the next generation. And I'm doing it through being my best self and keeping my children home with me so they can watch me become my best self and teach them through action, baby, this is how you find happiness. You be you, you be true to yourself. Um, and that's all that matters. Mm. <laughs> well, thank you so much, friend, for coming on and sharing your story. I am so proud of you. I'm so proud of us, okay? Because let me just put this shit out there, right? What's so hilarious is the time that I spent talking to you. Hey, Naya. And um, the time I spent talking to you, and I remember when you started doing your videos, the videos in your car. And, um, you know, that was kind of a nerve-wracking experience, you know. And um, I just remember verbalizing whatever I was verbalizing to you. And I was just like, watch this shit. And then literally, like, you just took off with it. <laughs> like, you really took off. And it's funny that that comes back full circle for me because I was not on that journey. I don't, I can't even explain to you, like, 
I mean, you know where I was with the media. You know, I don't mess with that. Um, so just having you and I'm so thankful for your journey. And this is why you're my soulmate, because I've I've had the pleasure and the honor of of having similar pathways to go through. And you have been that role model basically you know you were the first to pave that way so it's like I'm kind of you know putting my feet in the footprints like okay (laughs) so I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you and just as a, a spirit as a human being you're such a wonderful person thank you for just being transparent with your life um I don't, I don't think you realize how monumental um, your words are, how monumental your life is, just your whole lifestyle, just you just being true and authentic to yourself and the love that you give and that you express, especially to humans you don't even know. <laughs> like, you're, it's just beautiful. You're just a beautiful spirit. And um, I'm just, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that everyone gets to hear your story. Um, I'm thankful for the babies in the background. And um, I'm just thankful. And I just wanted to end saying that. Thank you very, very much, friend, just for being you. I'm not even gonna drop no tears since I got mascara on. (laughs) Gotta get cute for my friend. I like my girl put on some mascara. Yeah, I'm gonna take some more time in the show to praise you too. Um, but you know, I love you, and I'm so proud of you on uh, all the levels. Um, people really don't know your story and uh, the things that you continue to overcome, and how much just these last couple years, how much you've shifted. So I am so proud of you, and I've always looked up to you, and I will continue to because uh, you're my Gemini. <laughs> It's just what it is. And, I appreciate uh, the Gemini shout out too, because girl, like you do not know, like even recently I was telling somebody I was a Gemini. They whole energy just shifted. I was like, what is that? <laughs> like, oh, I got to watch you. Yes, watch me. Watch my show. I have several shows. They don't get y'all, but um, I do. And I'm always telling, when, you know, somebody will say, like, well, when's your birthday? All right, Gemini. Like, don't, don't worry, it's, it's me. I, you can tell me you're a Gemini. You have to be ashamed. Yes, I appreciate <laughs> that. And your mother, too, you know. Um, shout out your mother and my mother, because uh, I feel like she's my mama, too. Um, you know, she was, she was the only other person other than my dad that was down to come get me out of juvenile hall. And I've told you many times, and I think I've told her as well, but, um, you know, and I remember back then knowing your mother, loving your mother, but I didn't really know that your mother knew me or got me or loved me like that too. Like I didn't understand that exchange fully. And when she offered that, I can just remember, I don't know if I heard y'all talking, I guess I was on the phone with you, but I could hear it. I knew from her, like she was so serious. She would take care of me, you know, like she was like, no, I, I'll be your mom. <laughs> yeah. Bring her um, on. Yeah, you know, um, so just the same, just so thankful um, that my babies have Auntie April, 
and that I have April and no matter what, um, we gonna keep doing the thing together. So um, thank you for asking me to do this. Um, you'd be the only person I would really want to help me tell my story. So thank you, friend. Thank you, I appreciate it. Okay, well, um, I'm gonna call you. We're gonna stop recording right now. Bye everybody, say bye. Kitty, say bye to everybody. <laughs> Rise is such a cancer. <laughs> oh, right.